Live from WIUXLP Bloomington, you're listening to this week's episode of American Student Radio. I'm Maggie Tully, your host for today. This week's episode, we'll be diving into all sorts of stories encompassing food, glorious food. So be sure to stay tuned in today. From Bloom... <laughs> from... Uh, again, live... Li- what is it? <clears throat> oh, ready? Should I do it again? From Indiana University in Bloomington. From Indiana University in Bloomington. This is... This is... This is American Student Radio. Real chill. Real chill. Aliens, conspiracy, journalism, and lesbians. Starting out our show is first-time producer Callan Norman and Emily Miles as they head into the new food project house and sit down with the founders of Fed. And between the forks and the lemon zest is something distinctly human. Above all else, it's human. And I think we forget how to be human a lot of times in business, in media, whatever it is, just take a moment and relax and enjoy company with other people. It's that simple. Well, my name's Enrique Hernandez, and... I'm Luke Lagasse. Luke and Enrique are both seniors in the Kelly School of Business. They knew each other from various classes they took together. But the idea for Fed began as part of a class project for Compass 3. Which is a class that teaches you professional development and kind of like life skills in a business sense was to create a project that impacted the Bloomington community some way. didn't matter how it happened or what you did, but it had to have some kind of long-lasting impact. And so kind of through a series of events, that's how FED was created. For those of you that don't know, um, this is the IU Food Project House, and we are FED, short for Food Education. The premise of FED is that we have an abundant and beautiful um, amount of resources in Bloomington when it comes to food. And then you have college students that want to know more, but don't have opportunities to do so on campus. There's no food clubs really that are kind of bridging that gap, and that's what we decided to do. Food is definitely not a recent interest for either of them. Their affection for food was instilled in them at an early age by their families. My dad is an amazing cook, and he's Venezuelan, so we've always had kind of a different culture. Like, as far as meals go, it's always like a very family thing. Like, you have to be together. Like. Eating alone was was weird. I grew up in a Italian house and a French Canadian house, and so from the very beginning of time for me, I was around food. I would cook with my mother, with my grandmother, learn how to make homemade pasta, ravioli, stuff like that. And on Sunday dinner, it didn't matter if you had soccer practice or you with your friends. By five o'clock, you were home, you were at the table, and you were there <laughs> to celebrate with your family and see what happened that week. And that really was kind of the premise of what. I was taught food was. It was about being with people that you loved, sharing those experiences, and learning how to cook. I started volunteering at Sprouts Garden. It was just a life changer. It taught me about everything not related to food, just about life, and then plus learning how to grow food. So I was like, okay, this is something I want to keep doing. I thought I was going to go to culinary school, ended up deciding that with seven out of 10 restaurants failing in the U.S. at that time, I wanted to learn the business aspect of it first. So that if I ever did want to go into the restaurant industry, that I would do it with intent and have the right knowledge to do so. So that brought me to Kelly. And then from there, everything I did involved food or some sort of creativity thing. I went on like a kind of like 
drought with food junior year, but I started cooking more. And then senior year, uh, Luke and I decided to start this. I started talking to farmers and started talking to restaurants for this organization and realized that this is what I actually want to do. So a lot of people grow up getting like their parents cook for them. And then they go to college and while this is a great opportunity to learn how to cook and a great opportunity to explore, a lot of people just end up eating pizza, ramen, and cheap food, which is fine because a lot of college students don't have that much money. But the other major issue is time. It really is difficult to say, okay, I'm going to sit down and cook for the next hour and a half and I'm going to eat for 30 minutes and then I'm going to try and plan a dinner with my friends and learn more here. It just doesn't happen, right? At this point in time, food is becoming a conversation on campus. And we just decided to start this organization as the conversation was starting. So for us, it was first understanding, okay, we have to get a constitution and find a faculty advisor. He kind of gave us the idea. He's like, yep, I'm, I can definitely be your guys' faculty advisor, but I've seen a lot of clubs come and go here. And so if you're going to do this, you really have to do this the right way. And when I meet and talk to him, he says that he just got a house and the house has two kitchens and the intent of the house was to have food organizations in it and to connect all food initiatives on campus and it literally happened as I was talking to him. Now, Fed is thriving, organizing all sorts of events. One night towards the end of the semester, students crammed into the food project house when Fed held a pop-up dinner featuring food that college students can conceivably make on their own. Zest, olive oil, and pepper. And then for the next course, we're going to do kind of a take on cacio e pepe, which is a traditional Italian pasta dish that uses uh, pecorino romano or parmesan. You're creating a butter cheese sauce and a lot of black crushed pepper. I'm going to just have a simple pasta dish, but I'm actually making it out of ramen. So yeah, and then for the last course, it's just going to be uh, pork tenderloin. Our goal is to help college students discover what it means to enjoy real food, to cook real food, and to know where our food comes from, from the ground to our plate. So literally farm to table. And we do that through actually having farm visits where we go out to local farms in Bloomington. We volunteer for a few hours at a time, get a private tour of the space, and really get to have that relationship with our farmers. And then from there, we have um, events where we partner with local restaurants and local business owners to understand um, what that process of actually preparing food looks like. So we've had an Italian pastry event with Piccoli Dolci. We've also had a chai tea class. We had a private dinner with the head chef of Topos 403, where he walked us through three different dishes. And so we've really kind of gotten to build this relationship with Bloomington. Just talking to farmers at the market, they, they're such an open community, and they just want to help anybody that's trying to grow food because they know it's hard. And it's really important for the community, especially in the Midwest, because we have amazing soil. I just went deeper and deeper into the whole food thing and started thinking, okay, how do I eat the best I can eat for the cheapest amount of money? Okay, I should grow my own food. I just posted on Facebook, will anyone let me farm on their land? Like, I got three responses. Um, a lot of them were, were like 40 minutes away. One of them was 15 minutes away. It's like a cow pasture, just grass. They were doing nothing with it. They were just like, just have at it. Just as soon as Fed has come into existence, Luke and Enrique have to cut the cord. They're both about to graduate and have big, divergent plans for the future. For the most part, I'll probably be in New York working in Manhattan. My background has always been in restaurants and working in restaurants anyways. And so I'm very curious to see 
what the food scene is like in New York because it's powerful. It really, really is. But from a farm perspective or a sustainability perspective, what does that look like? And how can we take the urban city and the small, small town in Indiana and find a way to have the same conversation with food? Since I'm farming in Bloomington, I'm going to be here. And kind of my idea is to try to connect fed with the farm and allow for students to have a direct access to a farm really whenever they want. And what I hope to do with that is just kind of show up to meal sharing and, and hang out and catch up and give people vegetables and see how it goes. <laughs> if Carl still accepts me as a semi-student. We found people that are extremely well-versed in media, in video, in advertising, and they want to take on the marketing. We have people that love the event planning and want to do these incredible initiatives. And then we have a junior who is incredible. She was one of the other founders with us. She's going to be our next president. So we've seen really key players that just want to take on a different piece of Fed. And I mean, it makes both of us pretty happy to say we can walk away with no reservations, honestly. For American Student Radio in Bloomington, I'm Callie Norman. And I'm Emily Miles. In this next piece, producers Peeler Brynjarski and Anna Grover set out to investigate the flow of garbage and food waste during one of IU's biggest party weekends. The Little 500, or Little 5 as students refer to it, is the biggest collegiate bike race in the country. Every April at Indiana University Bloomington, Roughly 30 men's and 30 women's teams take to Bill Armstrong Stadium for a bike race. A few campus and community organizations enter teams, but the vast majority of teams are from sororities or fraternities. And Little Five Week has a reputation for being a time of nonstop partying. From several sources, quote, the best college weekend in America. Sporting events and food waste are heavily intertwined. During the Super Bowl, roughly 49 million cases of beer are purchased each year in the two weeks before the game, but only 54.5% of beer and soda cans and 34% of glass containers end up getting recycled. The rest? Landfills. We spoke to a student who was planning on spending his little five weekend a little differently. Yeah, uh, my name is Oluwa Timuleng. I will be, um, I'm a junior here, and I study film and entrepreneurship. So what I really see myself doing, you know, as a film and an entrepreneurship is want to start a lot of businesses, but while doing that, I also want to give back to the community. And I was just walking downtown one time and just had a very, very uplifting conversation with a um, homeless man. And from there, I just, you know, I've been taking a couple classes and no hunger is definitely not, is one of the things that a lot of people are dying from. So that just packed the idea. I mean, like, you know, we might as well just, you know, during Little Five, we're going to be partying all week. There's going to be a lot of cans. So we might as well just use the cans and, like, you know, find a way to uplift the community. His plan was to recruit a group of students and walk around Saturday afternoon after the men's race finished, collecting all the beer cans and other recyclables from frat houses and house parties. Then, they'd exchange all the collected cans for money at a recycling center, then use that money to buy food for some of the homeless people on Kirkwood. Um, that's the goal. Um, we live in a you know, very beautiful you know, place, Earth, and there's no other replacement for now. So I feel like if we're all going to leave here, we might as well come together and clean it up somehow and help each other, you know, get a better lifestyle because... 
again, we're one race of, like, the human race, so we might as well help each other out. So I hope this, like, motivates people to pretty much, you know, give back to the community, to pretty much clean up, you know. We love this idea. It seems like a great way to turn the wastefulness of a supersized Big Ten party weekend into something positive for a part of the Bloomington community in need of some help. All right. All right, Anna. So you just got a text from uh, Timmy? Yeah, uh, he just said that he had to cancel the event tomorrow. All right. Um, oh, oh, what do we do now? Like, I we we can't, like, we couldn't really go out there and do, should we go out and pick up, like, the trash ourselves? Or, I, don't I don't know. I just don't think that we can, like, do that all ourselves. Like, a... the, it was, like, the good part about it was that we were going in a group. Yeah, that would be a lot. Um, I guess, I guess it would be useful to just still go on a walk, um, tomorrow and see, see what kind of trash is out there. Yeah, I, I think that's a good idea. All right. Um, yeah. Okay. Then so that we can, um, we can just check it out. Um, maybe get some audio of some things. Mm-hmm. Um, see what's out there. Yeah. So the afternoon of the men's race, we took a walk up Jordan Avenue and 17th street where all the fraternity and sorority houses are located. Then we came across a guy sitting on the street corner with cases of water bottles and snacks for passing partygoers. I'm Bryce Hart. And, uh, I'm out here with Kai Alpha. It's a Christian fellowship on campus. Okay. Uh, we're just out here passing out free waters, granola bars, uh, any type of snack that we can, just uh, spreading the love with people and uh, keeping them safe. Do you have any thoughts on like the the kind of amount of food waste that's created by Little Five? Do you think Do you think there's a lot of trash like laying around um, that I don't know that you contribute to or not? Oh uh, yeah, definitely. We have seen some of our bottles uh, just get tossed aside by students uh, whenever they're done. But uh, we have been taking trash bags and going around uh, trying to pick up some of the mess that we've uh, started to create. So we just talked to Bryce. Um, there are people out here keeping things clean, and. Um, you know, now that I think about it, we haven't seen that much trash. Wow. That SUV, that that Domino's delivery SUV was entirely full of pizza. He had like 10 of the like the black bags that they keep like four pizzas in. What what's happening? Now? So, a guy carrying a Sigma Pi flag, I think, is running down the street while all all their little five uh, bikers are doing their sort of last hurrah at the frat before going to the stadium. Turns out there's not a lot of trash out there. Bryce was right in that we did see a couple of the water bottles he was passing out discarded on the ground. But beyond that, we hardly spotted any trash lying around. We were like, oh, we'll have, like, this cool, like, story and, like, food waste, you know, is, like, happening. And we'd be like, oh, look at all this food waste. No, turns out reality is just sort of uh, less interesting (laughs) and gray. Maybe a little less or a little more positive than we expected, though, which is is good. Right, yeah, it's it's not a bad thing to see less food waste. You know, we've been kind of 
like really wrong about this whole thing. Let's go find some real facts about recycling and food waste. But I think it turns out we're not as educated as we think. All right. Um, so according to this 2015 New York Times article by John Tierney, uh, The Reign of Recycling, for every round-trip flight a person takes from New York to London, they'd have to recycle 40,000 plastic bottles to offset the carbon emissions. So just think about how many planes are circling the planet every day. We would need to recycle in just an astronomical number of plastic bottles to make up for that. Do you wash out your plastic yogurt cup before recycling it? It turns out you could be doing more harm than good. Chris Goodall, the author of How to Live a Low-Carbon Life, found that the positive effects of recycling can be offset if you wash a plastic container in water heated by electricity from coal. So sometimes even the tangible efforts you make don't result in the impact you might expect. We've been concentrating on the wrong thing this whole time, on the deficiencies of others and our ideas of what's going wrong, rather than educating ourselves and finding real problems and real solutions. People like Timmy and Bryce are out there helping out, and they care, and we're sure a lot of other people do too. What's important, though, is learning the truth about what we're doing for the Earth and why we're doing it. In other words, we bought into the negative stereotypes associated with Little Five, and we allowed that to take over our reporting. Recycling is important, but it's equally important to put things into perspective. For American Student Radio, I'm Peeler Bernyarski. And I'm Anna Groover. The music for this piece was provided by Pottington Bear, Harpo, and Springtide under a Creative Commons license. Now from the streets, talking about Little Five to the track. This week, I got to follow around Sweet Potato Club and get to hear about their experience about being a rookie team in the 30th running of the women's Little 500. started the club two years ago as a kind of a joke and then it took off and so I'm vice potato of communications Anna's head potato and yeah we're just trying to keep the club going and keep people excited about sweet potato club and also we made a bike team (laughs) (laughs) we thought of having a little five team when we started the club like in some ways they happened like exactly at the same time because we were thinking uh when we came up with the idea, it was around Little Five, and we noticed that there weren't enough women's teams. And we're like, what? How are there not enough teams participating? It was like, what can we do that's peak crazy, but also IU and like a little bit weird? And so we're like, <laughs> we need to have a Little Five Sweet Potato Club team out there on the track. Exactly. And it was born, and I think we're doing well. I didn't know anything about Little Five. I like had an idea of that people raced around in a circle and like that still happens but like every (laughs) (laughs) every other detail I had no idea we learned about I mean just 
getting on the bike, you have to hold it a certain way. And, like, you have to be so far in the track to get on the bike. And you have to stay in a certain amount of space. And just, like, so many little things that every day when we showed up, we learned something new. For yeah. sure. There hasn't been a day that goes by that we haven't learned something I new. when we were at the qual, um, the qual time meeting, everybody who's anybody who's a racer was at this meeting and sweet potato club happened to be drawn first out of a hat and the whole room cheered <laughs> and if they weren't cheering they had no idea what was happening because <laughs> yeah, exactly. they were either completely confused or so supportive it was really great <laughs> we're pretty well prepared we have um we've practiced a lot we've been out on the track when there's a lot of riders so i think the atmosphere um will be pretty similar like as far as on the track i think the only thing that we're not prepared for is the amount of people that are going to be in the stands so we had a little taste of that at qualls um you can definitely feel the adrenaline when the focus is on you I think it'll just be an added element of excitement for our team and make us just pedal faster. I think at that meeting, too, or at least Qualls, it was like we went out there on the field and there were some people who were like, oh, you weren't joking, you have a team. And we're like, yes, we've been telling you this for months and months. And everyone's like, oh, we didn't think you'd follow through with it. And here we are. Yeah, about to race. Exactly. Ladies and gentlemen, the 32 teams of the 30th running of the Women's Little 500 and to send them off in turn one, two-time Olympic gold medalist, our own Lily King. Hey everybody, it's super great to be here today. Thank you for having me. So glad to have you all out on this uh, little bit of a rainy day. Uh, just a few words of wisdom. Uh, race hard, keep your heads up, good luck and Godspeed. And now, the words we've been waiting for. Ladies, mount your little 500 bicycles. The green flag is raised, and the race begins. The race was a pretty clean one for the most part. No major crashes, but about 19 laps in, senior Anna Pusateri spun off her bike. Yeah, it wasn't too far into the um, beginning. She said um, a girl slowed down quite dramatically. It's kind of a blur. I like remember going, I remember we were all going really fast and it was like a really big pack. Um, and the girl in front of me slowed down and I didn't have enough room to like recover, to like do anything about it. So I ran into the back of her wheel and like spun out. Yeah, so it's kind of, yeah, yeah, I, um, I'm a little scraped up, but overall I'm okay. Our team really, really came in through their flex- ability to be flexible and so Tina and and uh, Tori really picked up the slack and took on some like a lot of extra laps and we're just flying too. 81 laps later the race was complete. Davis about to make it a seventh championship ladies and gentlemen as they come through the curve. Here we are team number two be ready for the checkered flag to fly Kappa Alpha Theta. And team three, the, will be set. the team ended up placing 23rd out of 32 teams. I talked to their coach, Jack Hadfield, after the race. They're the funnest team on this track. 
they definitely have the biggest spirit. They were they worked so hard and they were so dedicated to training. It was amazing to watch. And they were so flexible with the strategy today. They still act like winners. I also talked to some fans wearing light blue tank tops matching the color of the team's jersey. The shirts read Couch Potato, SBC Cycling. I think they did really well. They qualified 30th and they finished 23rd, so I think it was a big improvement. And for a rookie team, I think they did really well. Yeah, for rookie teams, come out here, improve a lot. It's a good learning experience. See how they do next year, too. I'm sad, but I'm relieved. Um, but I'm so excited. I'm really glad that this is the way that I chose to spend my time senior year. Like, I really made some good friends and, like, got a lot of exercise. And, like, I mean, in 20 years, I'm going to remember, like, doing little five and finishing and just participating in this crazy event. The music in this piece was created by Poddington Bear under a Creative Commons license. For American Student Radio in Bloomington, I'm Maggie Tully. We wouldn't be talking about food and have a lot of foods we eat today without honeybees. We wouldn't have honeybees without bee sex. Producer Angelo Bautista brings us this story. I'm so nervous right now. Bring it closer to my hand. Hear anything? Yes. A lot of bees swarming. I'm at Hunter's Honey Farm out in Martinsville, Indiana, and I'm surrounded by bees. I'm not wearing any kind of protection, and I've never been stung before. It's terrifying and exhilarating, and all part of my effort to uncover the secret sex lives of bees. Well, one bee, actually. The queen bee. A lot of people have the misconception that the queen is in charge, and they all do what she tells them to do, but that's not true at all. This is Tracy Hunter. He's a beekeeper and the owner of Hunter's Honey Farm. What it is, is she's the female that was chosen to be the egg machine, and so... Her job, she, she doesn't make honey, she doesn't take care of the bees, she, do, she doesn't even feed herself. The only thing that she does is produce eggs, and she'll produce between 1,600 and 2,000 eggs per day. And she has to do that almost 24 hours a day for three to five years. Even though she produces thousands and thousands of eggs, she only mates one day in her life. Imagine only being able to leave your house once in your life just to have sex. And if you're the queen bee, you really have to make it count. She will mate with anywhere from a dozen to two dozen drones, males. And each male can mate up to ten times in a single mating flight. Unfortunately for the males, it doesn't end well for them. I talked to my friend Sydney to help explain. Um, my name is Sydney Ziegler, and I am an executive member of the beekeeping club here at IU. Tell me about the birds and the bees of bees. So all of these bees, will like they'll see her and they'll be like, okay, so they're chasing her. They latch onto her, and it's kind of like a sideways parallel. Like, they're not just like on top of her like you would imagine like regular animal sex. It would just be they're attached to her. They inseminate her, and then they literally fall off dead instantly. 
And the reason for that is because once a drone bee finishes mating with the queen, his endophallus is ripped apart from his abdomen. Yikes. Sucks to be a male bee. (laughs) And I, I think I remember you telling me about what happens to drones if they don't inseminate the queen what happens then so if a drone does not inseminate a queen by the end of the season then when it becomes to like the first frost when bees are really trying to like store up for the hive for the winter they realize you know the temperature's changing so if a drone doesn't mate with a queen by then he will be (laughs) murdered and then thrown out of the hive which is a little savage some people might think but it's necessary to the hive survival. It's really a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation for the male bees. So what happens to the queen after this one day of mid-air debauchery and death? So (laughs) she actually keeps all of the bee semen inside of her for the entire time that she's alive, which can be up to like five years. When she's laying an egg, she will pick whether she's making a drone, so whether she's making another male bee or whether she's making a worker bee, which is a female. And when she's making a female, she will use the semen that she's received from all of these other male bees. But if she's making a drone, all she has to use is her egg. She doesn't have to use any semen at all. So if you think about it genetically, the male honeybee only has half of the chromosomes that the females do. They are haploid. And so I like to say that the male honeybee has no father, but he does have a grandfather. This weird and complicated sex life of the honeybee is actually incredibly important to us as humans. A large part of our agriculture hinges upon honeybees for their pollination. The bees are so important to our food production that beekeepers like to say, for every third bite of food that you eat, one of them requires a honeybee. And the honeybee is responsible for not just the fruits that we've mentioned, but... When you eat a hamburger, the cow had to eat alfalfa, and the alfalfa was pollinated by the honeybee. They're so complex. I mean, when bees get knocked up and the queen lays eggs and all of this, it's such a minute part of it that we're looking at these insects. They are such small entities in our universe, but they have such a strong connection to our food production And it's something that people really don't realize. We're thinking, we seem small in the universe, but bees are even smaller. They are contributing so much, and we need to be there to allow that to happen. I am a honeybee, shut up from the colony, and they won't let me in. So I left the hive, they took away all my stripes and broke off both my wings. The song Honeybee comes from Ziavi under an attribution, non-commercial, no derivative license. Special thanks to the Beekeeping Club at IU, Hunter's Honey Farm, and the queen bee herself, Beyonce. For American Student Radio in Bloomington, I'm Angela Bautista. Tell me the secrets of the world. Thanks for listening to American Student Radio on WIX 99.1. If you like what you heard or want to listen to anything again, please subscribe and find us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Make sure to tune in next week when we'll be wrapping up our semester with our best of show.
Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to American Student Radio. We're produced by students at Indiana University Bloomington. Our theme music is provided by Lunamatic. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash American Student Radio and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at ASR Voice. We broadcast new episodes every Sunday at noon on WIOX and stream on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash American-student-radio. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.